Hey everyone, welcome to the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be listening to episode 5 of 2022's More Make It Count series, Keeping the Hope in Our Help. The episode was... Oh my gosh. This episode... Should I do it again? Hey everyone, welcome to the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be listening to episode 5 of 2022's More Make It Count series, Keeping the Hope in Our Help. This episode was originally released in November of 2022, so if you want to go and watch the original full video, you can do so by heading to our website, www.moreconference.co.nz. We're going to be hearing from Dave Mann. Dave is a networker and creative communicator with a vision to see an understanding of the Christian faith, both continuing and being valued in the public square in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Dave will bring inspiration for us to speak up about our hope more often than we already do through story and give us practical tools and tips for how we can keep the hope in our help. Dave has innovated numerous conversational outreach resources for churches in their pulpits, small groups and youth groups, coordinated various national nationwide multimedia efforts to open up conversations between church and non-church people, and actively innovates through various other media to see our amazing stories as the Christian church being told, heard, and esteemed. Married to Heather, they have four boys and reside in Tauranga, New Zealand. Let's hear what Dave has to say about keeping the hope in our help. Well, kia ora ngā whānau, nei. Hello to the family throughout the nation and uh, hi to the renter crowd who are sitting in front of me here. I hope you enjoy it and, and I look forward to the conversation afterward. Uh, I love being with the Salvation Army. Uh, just to compliment you, your brand is very much known as uh, Christianity with its sleeves rolled up. I don't think you get a much better branding than that. Uh, your name is, is the Salvation Army and so your mission and your mandate is also abundantly clear. And the, the short talk that I'm going to bring you today uh, is simply titled, How to Keep the Hope in Your Help. Uh, we're doing lots of things to help in communities. How do we keep the message within that? Uh, keeping the hope in the help is rather important these days, uh, I think particularly because our society is changing and we need to adapt and respond within that environment. Uh, public media are quite regularly giving negative innuendos toward Christianity. This is a global trend uh, as well. And, and as an evidence of culture changing, I actually have a graph which I've given out to those who are sitting at the tables here, which came from an international study on religion. And what they have showed is that out of all the nations giving a graph where the blue gets bigger to the most secular, New Zealand is the, the third uh, to most secular nation on the planet. And so if we're thinking that we're facing some cultural challenges with bringing spiritual messages in the public square, we're most definitely right. But what's not being told is that for every negative story that's told, there's more than a thousand stories that are positive and good. What's not being told is the story of history within which Christianity uh, is actually the bedrock of many of the amazing blessings in our culture that have left us in a nation that's been one of the most free, prosperous, equality-based and charitable societies, not only in the world today, but in human history. What's not told is also that if we were to put the, the efforts of Christian churches together and to, to measure them within our nation, uh, we'd find that we were the largest contributor to the charity sector outside of the taxation money that the government has to spend on charity. And so it's becoming pretty important that we learn how to tell our own story. We need to position ourselves somehow to thrive within a changing world. And 
Silence is dangerous. Uh, you might have heard the saying, use it or lose it, something that your, your grandparents talk about in terms of the movement within their bodies. It's often said that the freedoms of speech and religion are the same. It's a case of use it or lose it. Uh, in the Hope Project, when, when we did our first effort, which was a, a blue-coloured booklet similar to this, we had more than a thousand formal complaints the first time we did a national effort through TV, web and booklets. People couldn't believe that after 30 years without something like this, we would dare to take the Christian message into the public square, and those complaints went to every organisation imaginable. But we'd actually done nothing wrong. Uh, we'd simply communicated what we believe in a free nation, and we'd done so respectfully. And I remember seeing a comment on a Facebook page of an organisation that would like to have seen us uh, finished. And one guy simply commented, we have to admit this is the best of a bad thing. One year later, 36 complaints. And the year after that, I can't remember the exact number, but it was about 11 or 15. From over 1,000 complaints through two years later to 11 complaints, what happened? A freedom was preserved by the fact that we spoke. It's really important that we are disciplined and intentional to keep the message of hope connected to the help that we offer. An illustration you may have heard, though some here are younger and maybe you haven't heard it, I don't know, but the illustration of a sandwich and a booklet. I want you to imagine I'm walking down the street here in Wellington and I've got a Subway sandwich in one hand that I haven't yet started to eat and in the other hand I have one of these booklets. This represents the help that I could offer to those in need. This represents the message of hope that I could offer uh, for people to help them reconnect with God. I want you to imagine that coming up to a hungry man I go, oh, it seems to me that you're hungry. And I give him the sandwich, but I fail to give him the booklet. Now, we've often asked groups of people, what would you say about that? And they normally would say, well, that's loving and that's good, but they then sort of admit, you haven't really done everything you should have, because we should kind of communicate the hope too, shouldn't we? I then propose that we do the opposite. Let's imagine I came up to him and said, here you go, a message that will bring hope to your life, while I take a munch out of the Subway sandwich myself and I don't give anything to him. Now, people typically react to that one and say, uh, oh, oh, that's unloving, that's unloving, that's callous, that's hard-hearted. I put to you that to give the sandwich without the booklet is actually callous and hard-hearted. We're doing what's easy in the eyes of our society that we're going to be praised for and even helped by the government for, and everyone will say, oh, how wonderful and good you are, and it appeals to our sense of pride and our sense of value. Whereas what is actually most important is that a person has a chance to reconnect with God. Obviously, the solution is that the help and the hope are supposed to go hand in hand. But the danger here in the Christian church isn't that we share our messages without helping people. We're the biggest contributor to the charity sector outside of the taxation money the government has. The challenge that we're going to have is that we're going to be seduced and by the subversive influence of our society to go silent on our faith. And we're going to offer all of the help without ever talking about the hope because that's acceptable, because that's wanted and desired, because people don't want to hear about your religion or your Jesus or your God. Don't push your beliefs on me. I've got my own beliefs. And that's created a culture that's affected us and it's caused us to go awkwardly silent. I put to you, though, that many of the material problems we're trying to see fixed in people's lives are actually spiritual problems. I put to you that many of the emotional problems we're trying to see uh, healed in people's lives are actually spiritual problems. The root of them comes from belief, which affects thinking, which affects feeling, which affects behavior. It's spiritual. 
Consider the person who's depressed and they are feeling angry because of past injustices that somehow haven't yet been reconciled or, or, or dealt with. A person who suffers anxiety from hurts, from a wrong that's been done, done against them that hasn't yet been somehow forgiven, so they're set free. A person whose self-perception leaves them feeling inadequate and they don't have confidence to do things in life and they're living a, a very deficient and suppressed life because of harsh words that were spoken to them as a child, which really needs a revelation of how much God loves them to go, wow, actually... God loves me, and to change the whole way they think and engage in the world, because that would be my personal story. Consider a person up, to the, up, up for crime, and you're trying to you know, help them stop the stealing that they've been doing, but they're stealing because they're in debt, and they're in debt because they're gambling, and they're gambling because there's an emptiness in their soul because of the abuse or the absentee fa- um, father or whatever else it was that went on in their childhood. And what's actually needed is a spiritual solution in their beliefs, to understand or believe that there's a God of love who cares for them and has a future for them, which transforms their thinking, which transforms how they feel, which transforms how they behave. So let's take a turn here and start talking about how we might best communicate help on the platforms, sorry, how we might best communicate hope on the platforms of help. As a context, obviously, we can never force it. We're standing with audiences in front of us who are largely just irreligious, and at times they will be from other religions, while some might be Christian, like ourselves. There can be no manipulation. There can be no coercion. We can never offer help on the condition that a person would believe our beliefs. I state the obvious simply so it's stated in the context. I want to give you two keys that I think could help set us free to be able to engage more winsomely, to win people over more effectively, more confidently, and appropriately with our messages of hope in the platforms of help. The first is to set ourselves free to be ourselves. It's a really, really simple point. You see, we've, been, we've had our, our spirituality and our, our talk about it suppressed by the, the social pressures of our society, which is highly secularized, being the third from most secular in the, nation, in the world sorry, at the moment by the data that I gave earlier on. Yet what we carry is absolutely incredible. We carry this crazy idea that the God who is behind the universe is loving and good. And just to think about that for a moment, the majority of the world's religions don't believe that, and for good reason. It's illogical. Because if you're to look at the world that is around us, there's no way you can tell me that God is good. The world is full of good and evil, and they are hand in hand stuck into everything that's inside this planet. It's really quite an audacious arrogant, crazy claim that Christianity suddenly believes that its God is only good and only responsible for the good stuff and no way responsible for the bad stuff. Enter the problem of evil and suffering. And this is why the Eastern religions, as an example, have the yin and the yang, the good and the bad are mixed together. The gods or the higher power is the mixture of the good and the bad. What we carry in contrast to this is quite incredible. It's an arrogant claim to believe that God is good. God would probably have to come down and explain that one to us personally. But that's what we think happened in history. That's what happened through the Bible. We believe there is a future and a hope. It's the most positive view that's possible. And if you've experienced something of the touch of God or the compassion of God, the heart of God, the spirit of God in your life, I don't know about you, but I am genuinely grateful. I can genuinely remember what I was like before Christ touched my life, and I can remember what I was like afterward. I would never want to go back, and I am forever grateful. This is something to sing and dance about, the challenges that 
the excitement in our hearts becomes suppressed. We, we somehow need to set ourselves free again to feel. We need to set ourselves free to be excited about what it is that we carry and to rediscover the story and, and let our hearts overflow. The Bible tells us it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. You see, if we want to communicate well, whether it's in a conversation sharing a one-minute story, whether it's in a community ministry that we facilitate with a group of people and we say, let's start the day with karakia, I want to share with you a, a two-minute motivational thought or a, a two-minute little word of encouragement. You see, what's the key to being an interesting person? The key to being an interesting person isn't to try to be interesting. It's not hard work. The key to being an interesting person is to be genuinely interested. You see, the key to being an intriguing person isn't to try to be intriguing, it's to just be intrigued and it will come through you. The key to being compelling, to be able to bring an impact and hope into people's lives as we communicate, is not to try and be compelling and push things on people and to lean forward and raise our voice. The key to being compelling is to be genuinely compelled within us. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Number one, set ourselves free to be ourselves. We love God. We believe some amazing things. Point two, then let's learn how to communicate using creativity. Because creativity is a bridge. And every communication, whether it's this length that I'm giving at the moment or the, the two and the three minutes, is actually a work of art. If I was to give you three key words for a, a creative communication, they would be stories, authenticity, and brevity. Stories we're about to talk about, authenticity we just talked about, keeping it real, letting ourselves be genuinely, authentically excited or intrigued and letting that come through what we say. Uh, but brevity, the moment we're laboring a point, I suggest the audience is already turning off. And people can understand things stated simply without need for lots of repetition. Jesus' primary method of engagement in, with individuals was conversational with an ear open to the Spirit. He talked with people while listening to the, the Holy Spirit asking questions. If we go to the, the bigger sort of picture and, and how Jesus communicated with, with small groups and with crowds, Jesus, again, he asked questions. You see him doing this. He then made intriguing statements when he did speak and he told stories. And so questions is mentioned. Regarding intriguing statements, just to give you a context, he's sitting with Nicodemus. He says, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus goes, oh, what does that mean? I can't enter my mother's womb again. Or he's in Matthew 5 with the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he's saying, well, Moses said this, but I say to you this. You've been told, do not murder, but I say to you. What he's doing is comparing himself to Moses, who was the great spiritual leader and guru of the Jews. And he's, what? He's contrasting, he's adding to the teachings of Moses. Just to look at that in its context, he was a masterful communicator. That was creativity. That was genuinely intriguing and interesting. One of my current platforms for communicating to a, a real mixed audience is in a church-based scouts group that we've got running in our church. It's like any other scouts group, and we open with karakia and we close with karakia, but in the mix of that, we have a simple thought that's shared most weeks, and I've had the privilege of sharing those thoughts most weeks. Uh, it's been going for three or four years at the moment. To give you the framework for how I come up with a fresh thought each week, I tell a story from, from the natural world or history or something like that. I link it to something from the Bible very, very briefly, then I take it across to a simple application, and I close with a prayer. These would typically go for four or five minutes. The longest when there's been plenty of time has been 10 minutes. 
And there's only once in three years I remember losing the attention of those who were present. Uh, and all the rest of it, you've got kids with their hands up ready to, to say something or to ask a question immediately following. Uh, it, it's really quite fun. And we've had a culture develop where lots of parents stay. And they've got a wide variety of backgrounds as well. And this whole process has actually been incredibly fruitful because there have been people hearing different points about Christianity and faith and the difference it can make in our lives week by week in these small bite-sized pieces that are interesting and you can talk about in the car. And it's actually generated fruit. We need to keep the hope in our health. And the key is to set ourselves free and then to engage creatively. Let's look at story briefly. I want to give you some, some resources for finding stories that you could tell so you can prepare positive talks to give to people on public platforms with almost no preparation needed. Does that sound useful? Excellent. Okay, I got the nods here. Uh, I'm sure there through the camera that you are just going, absolutely, give it to us now, sounds great. It's free, bring it on. Okay, seven areas of story. Seven. First, stories from the Bible. This is what most of my talks would have been on public platforms about 20 years ago. Today I approach it differently. I link into stories from the Bible as the second story in a brief talk. Number two, stories from the natural world. Set yourself free to be amazed and then you can communicate brilliantly and people will be interested. Think of 10 or 20 things that blow your mind. The kinesin, which is a two-legged, two-armed robot inside every cell acting as a courier, blows my mind. The turtle, has things in its head that align themselves to magnetic north, so it always knows where north is, and can read the magnetic field lines to know exactly where it is on the planet at all times without needing to ever pop its head above the sea to see a landmark. It's got a navigation system that it can take it to specific places to even land after 10 years on the beach on which it was born, landing on the same beach sometimes, coming onto the sand within one or two metres of where it first entered the sea as a little baby turtle, freshly hatched from an egg, to swim thousands of kilometres to a feeding zone that it's never been to, and it finds it. There are things in nature that are just remarkable, and right there you've got an illustration, which easily comes through to something from the Bible, where the Bible tells us about a God who loves us, and it says we've been created with purpose. And you might think that you're an accident and there's no meaning to your life. Look at the amazing design inside the turtle. I tell you, you've been made in the same way. You've been made with intent and purpose. And a talk can be that simple. So from the Bible, stories from the natural world. 10 or 20 stories and things you're amazed at. You're away. Number three, stories from our bicultural history. You'd quickly find 15 or 20 of those. Stories from our values history. This is where our values as a nation came from. There's far more stories in our values history than our bicultural. Our bicultural is 200 years old. Our values history is 2,000 years old. How did we come to be in one of the most free, prosperous, equality-based charitable societies in all of human history? There is a story behind that, and there are hundreds of stories that sit behind that. Learn 20, 30, 40 of those stories. You have quick talks for public platforms in which I have had people give me almost standing ovations for talking while I gave a Christian message using stories from history they appreciated. Number six, five, sorry. Stories from our lives, testimony. You'll have 10 testimonies yourself quickly, potentially more for different circumstances. Stories from other people's lives in your church, in your church community. We've got the Unpacking Life video series connected to the Hope Project booklets. Gives me an immediate collection of however many testimonies, I know most of them well enough, to be able to do a talk. I'm in a situation, the shortest I've been given to prepare is 10 seconds, and then I've been speaking without knowing I was going to. 
And I quickly go, what's the context? What's the story? You think of a story and just let yourself be alive in the story and you're away. That was number six. Number seven then is stories related to why we believe our faith to be true. This is one we often overlook because we've thought that people aren't asking questions about our faith so they're not interested, but they're not asking questions about our faith because they're already convinced our faith isn't true. So unless we start to give them reasons to consider it, they're not going to consider it. So instead of giving them arguments, why don't we just tell stories about the way that we see things? So it's possible to give a story that I just want to share with you why I trust the Bible and think it's an amazing book. And I share with you the story as to how I came to the conclusion that the Bible's a truly amazing book. That is giving reasons for faith, but in a story format. So stories from the Bible, the natural world, bicultural history, values history, your life, other people's lives, and from why we believe our faith to be true. You see, because if Christianity is viewed as a negative thing because it's part of the problem with the world and it brings prejudice and judgmentalism, people need a story from history or a story from our testimonies that show why Christianity brings good. If people believe Christianity is fundamentally untrue, they don't need to hear a Bible verse, they need to hear a reason for considering why Christianity might be true, in which case tell a story from someone's life, a testimony, a story from something amazing in nature, or one of the reasons that convinced you to believe that Jesus did rise from the dead, or that miracles do happen, or something like that. And if people are lacking hope, then share a story of hope, because the Christian faith, objectively, is the most hope-filled idea on the planet. Because we believe that good and evil, sorry, evil didn't always exist. And while it does now, good will completely triumph evil one day, and only the good will remain beyond. Let's make sure that we keep growing ourselves and our ability to communicate hope through the platforms of help, through setting ourselves free, and then communicating with creativity through stories authentically told briefly. I want to give you access to some quick stories that you would be able to take as a resource to help you put together simple devotions, thoughts, things to share in conversation very briefly. Um, First of all, the Hope Project booklets have been intentionally written to convey the values and the bicultural history of New Zealand. There's a good 50 stories that sit inside these pages, and uh, you could take those and you've quickly got illustrations for short talks. Uh, The booklets are free. You can get any number of copies for free, altogether.co.nz. Click on Shop and you'll find under there you could get a copy of each of the eight current booklets, 10 copies. You could get 500 of each if you had a use for them. Um, Secondly, I've done a radio series which is called A Minute in History, uh, and it's one-minute stories. There's currently 130 in the collection, uh, which has been played by Rima Media on its radio stations. So that's 130 stories from our bicultural and values history right there to take and plagiarise. And so you could find that at... That's at hopeproject.co.nz forward slash a minute in history and put a dash between each word and you will have found those, um, that resource. The Chronicles of Pucky Illustrated History Series is a series of 16 uh, amazing stories from our history. Uh, that's a great resource that you could use with a junior series slowly in creation. There's other resources. This is the uh, Heritage of Aotearoa New Zealand um, published by... CBM, Children's Bible Ministries, that's got about eight stories within it. Uh, There's other books out that tell the various uh, values and and, um, New Zealand bicultural Christian history stories. I know that uh, Archbishop David Moxon has recently published a book telling those stories. If I was to give you one book about the values history and where our values came from as a culture, I'd recommend What If Jesus Never Lived? Uh, written by D. James Kennedy. Um, There's seven or eight great books in that category, but that's the easiest to read, the most accessible stories. 
And when it comes to stories or the natural world, well, go read a, a science magazine or something. Read the Creation magazine. It's got fantastic stories in it. Go to your church and listen to someone's testimony. You've got stories to share. The hope that we have on the platforms of help. Three scriptures and we're done. Mark, th- Mark 8, 36 to 38. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The hope that we carry is more valuable than the help that we give. They've got to go together, but we must not be giving the help while neglecting the hope. It carries on. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. It's incredibly important that we represent what we're called to represent. Our mission is not to give the help. Our mission is to bring the hope. But you cannot bring the hope without also bringing the help. They have to go together. Second scripture, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We've got to believe in what it is that we carry. And finally, Luke 6.45, for it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. The key to becoming great communicators for Christ and great communicators of hope on the public platforms that we might be able to speak on with all manner of people and ages is for the story to be alive in us. We've got to be genuinely excited about what it is we carry and about this amazing Christian faith with this completely crazy idea that the God behind the universe is actually loving and good. And as we discover the stories of the outflow of that, because beliefs lead to thinking, which leads to feeling, which leads to behavior, the outflow of that in history is abundantly clear. The stories are exciting. Let's let this become alive in us. Then let's tell the story uh, really briefly and concisely, clearly and authentically. Father, I want to ask that you would help us to become great storytellers. I ask that you would help us to become more alive to be more excited about what it is that we carry, what it is we have by some miracle of chance or of divine grace come to know. You have reached out to each of us and we have discovered that you love us. We have experienced your goodness. We are so grateful. Lord, help us not to suppress this due to the pressures of our society to be quiet about our faith. Help us to be authentic in our own skin, to not push our beliefs in any way on others, but to still be free to tell our own story or to tell the story of the things we see that excite us. Help us to become free and excited and therefore contagious as we simply seek to share hope everywhere we go with our mouths while we help with our hands. Uh, Bless the Salvation Army movement, Lord. It's got a great reputation. It does great work. Bless it to continue to be faithful in its calling, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, kia ora. My name is Steve Mullen. I am here with Faye Mullen, and we are the core officers of Manorewa Core in South Auckland. We used to work with young people. Now we're just old and crusty. Uh, we just wanted to share with you this morning a few of the things uh, that we have learned about the new in, which is going out. Or, as I say, out is in. It's about going out into the neighborhood, into the community, and sharing the love of Jesus amongst those contexts. So I just wanted to share with you a couple of stories. One of the stories of one of the things that we've done recently is we moved out of our um, officers' quarters and we moved into a a poverty-stricken neighborhood just because we wanted to be able to kind of connect and be more relational 
with our neighbours and share the love of Jesus through that. One of the keys that we've found is sometimes it's not seeing people as numbers, it's not about seeing people as somebody that we can get to church, but it's about authentic relationships with people. It's about what is the Holy Spirit doing in our community, in the neighbourhood, and in the people's lives around us, and how can we partner with that? And then how can we um, share the love of Jesus amongst that? For us, one of the things was, yeah, we uh, moved out of our flashy quarters, and we moved into, um, into a place in South Auckland and into the neighbourhood and share the love of Jesus amongst that. Another one of the things that we did was amongst that, we actually set up a Kiwi Kai co-op, which is a, a way of people being able to purchase cheaper food and share, share generosity or as they grow gardens and we plant a, a vegetable garden in their backyard and then they bring that into the co-op and share with each other as well as buying cheap quality food off us at affordable prices. Uh, that's meat and veggies and milk and bread, all the essentials. And through, again, as part of that, we form relationships, we form connection. I mean, at the co-op, uh, I have neighbours from my left, I have my neighbours from the right, I have neighbours that live behind me, and the community centre is across the road, and that's the hall that we use. We are finding as we connect with our neighbours, then we are being able to share the love of Jesus. Like we pray for them, we pray for healing for a lady who had um, a sore back the other day, and we're just sharing and speaking into their lives because we've got that authentic relationship with them. Here's a quick clip from um, Tara who also was part of our Kiwi Kai co-op and heads it up. I love that each week I get to see my friends. These people have become my friends and we've connected through um, buying food and sharing food together. I see them go feeling empowered that they can support their whanau with this good quality food. And that connection that we have goes into friendship and I can share with them about Jesus. Something else that we do is um, we have started up a women's group in the community in one of uh, the neighbourhoods, a social housing neighbourhood, where one of uh, our ladies who's part of our church lives. And again, this was birthed out of, one of the ladies came to me and said, hey, I want to um, do a women's group uh, in the church. And I want to knock on the neighbours' doors around the church. And, and in one way, this was a really good idea. But the more we thought about it, we said, what if we did something in your neighbourhood? You live in a, a social housing neighbourhood, and what if you started to connect with your neighbours, did a craft group out of your house, you invited people into that space and ministered amongst that, again, through authentic relationships, and as you create those relationships, you get to know people, and then you start to share your faith in a natural, spirit-led, organic way. Listen to Rena as she starts to share about this. Okay, so what I like about our community women's group, Kahawahini Kotahi Tanya, is that all women from walks, different walks of life get to share and connect and bond and create something new, share knowledge with each other and build relationships, not only with us, but with Jesus. Our Kahawahini Kotahi Tanga group is based in the South Auckland area at my whare. And we also have a community giving shed that gives and receives, and it's free. <laughs> Another one of the out is in 
is our men's fishing group. Uh, we find that sometimes men, are, you know, churches are kind of, it sort of caters towards women more. Like guys, we're kind of a bit sort of, ugh, I'm a guy. You know, we don't want to share that much. We kind of, you know, might not even be into worshipping and standing up a lot of the time. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but a lot of the guys that I work with are. And so we have a fishing group. We go out to Kiritahi Beach, we set the Kentucky, we set the long line, we have a barbecue on the beach. And again, that's where we share the gospel. We, um, we have the sharing time as guys, talk about all the things that's going on in their lives, usually problems with women. But we then, um, we then bring, in, bring in the gospel. We bring in, um, we have discussions with biblical themes that relate to the guys' lives and what's going on. We have a barbecue together. Sometimes we even, um, the guys bring along a guitar and we do have a worship time. It's because it's actually out, because the, the, the new in is being out. Or was it the out is in? One of those, anyway. Check this out with Brian as he shares very long and deeply about his experience in the men's group. The thing I like about the men's group is that we get out and do things. I think just to finish up, um, Faye, Hi Faye, are you with us? Say hi Faye. Yeah, she works uh, as a core officer, but she's been working in our family store as well. And again, that's another way that um, out is in. As she, um, she meets her customers, sometimes she prays with the customers, sometimes she shares with the customers, but it's being about in the community, out there, in, in amongst people, not um, always in the confines of a church. And just connecting with people in real, authentic ways. And if we connect with people in real, authentic ways, out in the community, following the leading of the Spirit, not forgetting that we do need to share Jesus, but in real, natural, and authentic ways. Hey, that's it from us. Remember, the out is the in. Awesome sharing with you guys. Kakitia. So, Dave, we've just heard from you, um, and now we get to interrogate you further to pick your brains, ask more questions. Um, does that sound threatening or are you okay with that? Sounds fun. Okay, cool. Um, we just firstly just want to thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your wisdom, for sharing your heart. It's been such a privilege and it's been real awesome to hear what you've had to say. Bring a very unique perspective to um, our more online conference this year. So it's cool. been awesome. Um, my first question, just mm -hmm. off the top of my head, what has been the highlight of your ministry so far in the past year? the past year. Yeah. Um, well, each year we do the Hope Project Easter Media efforts and the highlight has to be the fact that we put the booklets out there, 90 cities and towns is delivered by volunteers and in each one of those places churches come together and they work together to deliver the booklets. It's, um, so cool. it's just that the fact that God's church is capable of working together when it counts I, I think is completely remarkable. Yeah. Now Kayla, <laughs> I think that you have a question, am I right? Yeah, cool. uh, so we'll start off with quite a heavy one but get into it um so you talked a lot about the secular culture of New Zealand um and I was just wondering how you think the church needs to be adapted to kind of relate to that culture but also how um far that goes in regards to how we keep our values and yeah kind of how far is too far to go and that change. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that we need to adapt our churches heaps. Uh, we really just have to be authentically us, I think, within the walls of a church. Um, but we've always got to be loving. That's Jesus' culture. And always got to be caring. 
Um, the real challenge I think of adaption comes with outreach. If we decide to connect to people within our communities, we're, we're going to have to be able to identify their needs, their interests, um, create spaces that maybe feel um, safe or relevant to them. Got to scratch where it itches, so that's probably more where the adaption I think sits uh, and to find ways to communicate in those public spaces. But yeah, for the churches, let's, let's keep them authentically us. Um, but let's try to be conscious of what's weird and not, what's not weird to a person who's not from our subculture, you know, to, to lessen the weird things as much as possible so the door barrier uh, isn't any bigger than it has to be. Yeah. Why do you think us as people in the church struggle to be genuinely interested? And you mentioned in a few other things, you know, we're awkward and we're all sorts of things sometimes. Why, why do you think that is when you also said we hold we hold this greatest gift, and yet when it comes to sharing, we, yeah. we, we struggle to be genuinely interested and authentic. What do you think Yeah, I mean, carries to, to, that? to be a witness in a culture, I guess we've got to be able to adapt on the spot and, and adapt within culture. We've got to be authentic within our skin. We, we maybe lose it because we become so familiar with Christianity and with the Christian tradition, and it's like where the, the Bible talks in you know, Revelation about stir up again your first love that first excitement. So, so even when it comes to witness, it's interesting how people who have recently come to faith are the most effective in sharing the faith, just out of the, the abundance of what's going on in their heart, going, wow, this is amazing, and they, they tell their story authentically, yeah. So yeah, I think time jades us. I think that the subculture of churches can, can conform us to certain modes of expression that just don't make sense. But I also think we've just not been good at telling our own story or at appreciating it. We're, we're, in a, we're in a culture that is just saying, look, all religions are the same. But that's fundamentally not true. But if we don't stop to analyze that, you know, first of all, on a belief basis, for starters, they all don't believe there's a God because some think there's no God and some there's a higher power. The religions are majorly different in the major things, but the results of the religions are also fundamentally different. If I think that good and evil are mixed together and the gods are good and evil, then what does good mean if I have to go out and live a good life? And why live a good life? Why not a bad life? What's wrong with doing evil? You know, where does morality come from? Whereas if a, a good God does exist, I'm morally obliged to actually do the good because I'll be accountable for it in the afterlife. Yeah, we, I think we've lost sight of our story. Part of it's the culture around us, part of it's the subculture, part of it's the over-familiarity. Um, and because when we speak, there's been awkwardness. The culture saying, be quiet, we don't want to hear you. Uh, we just lose all thought of even thinking through what we'd say if we had the opportunity. So someone asks a question and we're suddenly stuck for words, when the truth is there's hundreds of amazing stories that, that we could be telling at that point. So I think for me, what's, what really energises me at the moment around storytelling is that we are being now more intentionally silenced than ever before. This is a global cultural trend and it's, um, it's one that we can only push back against not by protesting it, we can only push back against it by actually being authentically, genuinely excited about our own story and learning how to tell it. And that can influence public perspective in balance to the other messages that they're hearing on a consistent basis. You mentioned about adaptability and church needs to be adapted to engage with the wider community. What needs to be changed within the church to make this happen? What does it look like? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if the church is the people, again, I think, I mean, we have our, our gatherings, let's say, on Sunday to, to remember, you know, the, the core of our faith, to hear teaching, to, to celebrate and to sing. I don't think much needs adapting there. I think it's more about understanding what we exist for within the community. 
Uh, and we don't exist just for ourselves and our own church community, we exist for the community. Uh, we're the one organisation that exists for the people who don't belong to it. That's our core purpose for existence, that the mission that Jesus gave to us. Yeah, so I mean, if I, if I was in a church, I was actually asked a similar question a week ago, and what I suggested there was that, a, let's say a smaller church in a community, I suggest that you try to find a genuine need in that community. Secondly, that's going to bring attention to you. And this one might sound a little bit self-serving, um, that, that, that second idea, but I think it's just accepting the reality that this isn't about trying to be proud. It's not about getting attention to make ourselves feel good. This is now fundamentally a part of our witness because we do have people who think our religion is proven to be false and who also think that Christianity is a problem with the world we might need to get rid of to have a utopian world in front of us. And so, so we need to be doing things that also communicate in our actions. You know, Jesus said, let your light shine before others that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So um, if there's anything to do differently, it's just let's keep adapting to society. If we've got programs we're doing to serve that aren't getting traction, we could be courageous enough to stop them and then look at what God's put on our hands, look at the people in our teams, try and find the needs in the community that some people are excited about and let's do something and, and find a way to, to engage with as many people as possible while we do making a difference. So um, I think that helps a local church add value um, in the eyes of their community whilst authentically adding value by nature of actually helping people. Uh, I'm interested to hear from an outside perspective around us as a movement, the Salvation Army, and how we uh, we are known for doing a lot of the helping, um, a lot of good works. And so I'm just interested to hear how we can continue keeping the hope and the help um, when we may have um, professionalised a lot of our helping um, and we do it really well collectively and professionally. And so I'm just wondering if you have a challenge for us as a movement, um, how we can maybe uh, do it collectively and individually or just some outside perspective around how we keep the hope and the help as the Salvation Army. Okay. First of all, if you've got a secularised ministry and it's inappropriate to bring a Christian message within it, I would avoid getting in that situation. But if someone were in that situation, I would suggest that if the, that the heart of the gospel is truly in the pastor, it's in the pulpit, in which case it can be in the people, in which case it's in your program, because your church members are hopefully in your program helping. So, so let's say you had a mainly music, let's imagine for some reason you weren't allowed to talk about God in mainly music, which isn't the case. Um, it could still be that the, the, um, the helpers are sitting there on the side and asking the young mums how they're going and whatever else, taking an interest in and sharing stories, encouraging faith. So, so if the gospel's in the people, the gospel's in the program. So that's, that's a way to redeem a situation that we're in. Final thoughts, so my answers don't go forever, would have to be that uh, it starts with leadership and it comes from the top down. And so if those at the, the top of the food chain aren't truly excited about what we carry and excited about the story, then it's just going to filter down. It's going to be less at every single level. So it's necessary that those are at the highest level of the leadership influence, encouraging, you know, um, down the chain of command, are genuinely excited about what it is we carry and about the message we carry. I do think it would be very helpful for, for pastors, officers, you know, whatever, uh, to regularly be sent stories that they could tell. You know, and, and for example, if you want that bicultural dynamic strengthened, just start sending a simple one-page or half-page 
story of someone in, in our history who's done something amazing each month to, to everybody to read and to incorporate into one message, incorporate into one devotion or one talk to a bunch of kids or whatever else it is. So just start feeding and building that culture of telling the amazing stories that the faith generates. Yeah. Um, Kayla, do you have anything else? Yeah. Um, so in regards to kind of getting out into the community, uh, let's say if I was working in a secular school environment um, where I obviously couldn't openly talk about the gospel, share the gospel, how, what would you say are the best ways to engage in a spiritual way with the people in that setting? I think it would come down to the same boundaries as for any teacher, whether it's, you know, if you're there in a, in a church role um, or if you're there as a teacher. Uh, again, it comes down to private conversation and relationship. Now, there are certainly going to be boundaries where you wouldn't take conversations too far in some areas, just as a matter of principle, and I think we have to respect the systems and the boundaries that exist. Uh, but that could also be where, where suggestions to a person to investigate something or invitations to a person to go visit a program at such and such a place or whatever, th those could be the intermediate steps. Uh, I think from a, a Christian point of view, you could say that uh, a lot of the things we do are, are bridge building to people. Uh, I think of young people, if they're trying to outreach to their friends as an example, often conversations about faith will begin amongst them at school, but it's very rare a young person would say, actually, I'm going to choose to believe in God while they're at school. It's more likely to happen in a conversation after school, kicking a soccer ball or joining a church's youth group or whatever else it is. So I think we have to accept the limitations, but much can be achieved. I think 24-7 is a remarkable model of youth work. I'm sure you've got similar through the Salvation Army. And again, they're there like teachers. They accept those limitations. Um, but, but by their works, people know what they represent. And that's, that's an important part of the picture. Yeah. Awesome. Thank mm. you. I've just got a similar a question uh, following up on that uh, around, let's say you are in a school or uh, you're in relationship with whānau or people in your community and you can have those spiritual conversations but um, you're too nervous or there's something holding you back, what would you say to somebody who just is quite anxious about taking that first step yeah. to start a conversation in that way? Yeah, I think authenticity rules the roost. So, I mean, just uh, you could just say to a person, hey, look, I, you know I'm a Christian and I wanted, I'd like to talk to you about it and I just feel completely weird, like I'm a complete doofus <laughs> to bring it up with you. You know, but I just, I've never asked what you think. Yeah, you, can, yeah. can you handle that conversation? You don't have to believe what I want to, I believe. You know, and so, so they, even that whole dynamic of saying, you don't have to believe what I believe, they suddenly know you're not trying to pressure them. Now, I've often talked about the way to break yourself free of the fear of engaging conversations is to remove the agenda of ever sharing the Christian message. So if you remove that agenda, you're no longer in there to try to achieve a goal. Because when you enter a conversation, none of us have any right to dictate where it's going, because that's called talking at someone, that's not a conversation. So, so it's two ways you don't know where it will go. The, the best you can do is engage a conversation with the intent, by God's grace, if you can, to somehow encourage a person to step toward Jesus, to encourage faith or hope or whatever the case might be. So yeah, so authenticity um, rules the roost, keep it keep it real, remove the agenda of trying to change them. They can feel that, they know you're coming for them if, if that's the case, so remove that agenda. And just, and instead of trying to tell, investigate. Ask questions, ask them what they believe, ask them why they believe it. When they say something you disagree with, don't disagree with them too quickly because it, it'll kill the conversation. Just applaud them, say I love that you think about these things. We, we might think differently on some of these things, but, but I love that you think about them, I didn't know that before. Um, and, and hopefully 
uh, an environment comes about in which we're comfortable to engage. Yeah. Another follow up. Yeah. Uh, what would be your first go to question? Like you're in this space, you're about, you're, you can sense that it's okay to take that next step and engage in that more deeper way. What's your go to question as the. This is the seed I'm planting to start that conversation. Oh, I don't know if Put I Put you I on the spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, on the spot. I think, like, yeah. quick fire. What's been your good hot so tip? far. Let's see if this throws you off. Number one question. I, I, don't know, I don't know that I have one, but just uh, I, I think the general thing is do you see yourself as a spiritual person? Just to see where they, where they see that. And then just to engage logically and rationally and from the heart wherever that goes. You know, the, the world's major religions are different. What do you think about those differences? Have you ever considered Christianity? Why or why not? Have you ever thought about this? It's just that reflective sort of question thing. Um, I mean, three types of questions. It comes from a book by David Geiser. There's actually four in his book. But the first is to investigate. You know, so, so what, do you, what do you believe? What do you think about this? Why do you think about that? Where do you get that idea from? The, the next is to try to illuminate a different way of thinking. Have you ever considered this? Were you ever aware of that? Uh, the third is then to uncover ulterior motives that they might have. So they're resistant to a conversation. They feel particularly strong about something. So, so what's going on behind that? Or let's say they, they have questions about the Christian faith and it's just one objection after another without accepting the answers from any of the previous conversations you just had. So, so it seems to me you've got, so the reflective question is to sort of say, well, it seems to me you've got a hundred questions. It seems to be a lot of, like, you have feeling behind this. What's going on there? Where does that come from? You seem to feel very strongly about this. Why is that? And so you've got your sort of, um, your un, sorry, the first one was the, investigating, then the illuminating, and then the uncovering. And, and they each are different phases of a conversation. Um, there's a logic to that, that might be helpful. Yeah. Richard, do you have anything else you would like to <laughs> Come ask? Come on Richard, or? bring us another one. So this is something that um, I've specifically noticed as well, I'm not sure uh, how many others have, but there appears to be a significant decline in church attendance on Sundays. And is this something that we should be concerned about, or do you think that there should be a change and something to look different? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> so I, I don't know that I have a clear answer for that. I mean, post-COVID, a lot of people have taken that as the opportunity to stop turning up. For some people, having a coffee in their pajamas, watching it on TV, you know, um, you know, on the phone or whatever, is, is just too comfortable to get back to the habit of turning up. Uh, there's numerous other things going on on the global stage. I think people are worried and concerned. I think people are going to be looking for help and for hope more in the next five and 10 years than they were in the previous five and 10 years. So, so I think, you know, in the church, we're, we're in a growth industry. Um, let, let's just keep ourselves healthy and keep ourselves positioned to be above the challenges ourselves to be emotionally healthy ourselves, full of faith ourselves, genuinely excited and appreciative of what we carry ourselves so that we can keep representing that well in a way that honours God. By His grace, different seasons come. At the moment for some churches, it's a challenging season uh, with numbers down after COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when it comes to getting out into our community, um, often we think we know what our communities need, um, but what do you think are the best ways that we can actually work out what the needs are in our community. Yeah, I mean, you can pay for surveys to be done. I understand the Salvation Army has a, a system to be able to uh, investigate what the actual needs would be within a community. Uh, the other would be just, just word of mouth by investigating yourself and asking questions. And to go out into a community and, and actually go connect with key people and key leaders and just say, I'm just trying to actually find out what you think the key needs are. That's actually very endearing. It's a great 
bridge building and relationship building opportunity. Uh, and again, it's not just a case, I think, of finding the needs. You've got to match that to what you have in your hand in your church. Your church has people with these skills and interests and maybe not these. So if the community's interest is this, you might not be the best person for it. You know, an upper-class BMW-driving church, you know, may not be the best to, to reach out to sort of, you know, gangsters, <laughs> you know, and um, who, who are getting drunk every weekend with all the, the family strife because there's just a cultural gap. So, so, so the need doesn't always say what we do. We, we do have to consider who we are as well, just to note that. But yeah, yeah. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Kayla. Anybody else? DB? We haven't heard from you in a while. Mm. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. What would be your, your, your thoughts just around um, how, we, how we need to be engaging to connect more with families and our youth and our young people? You know, we're seeing them more and more as they get to a certain age where they'll, they'll, they'll walk away from the well, church, well, they start to make too. their own decisions, they yeah. become independent. Yeah. yeah. What are some of your thoughts around how we capture back our younger generations? I mean, it's, it's an enormous topic. I know. It's an enormous topic. I mean, if you, if, I mean, just to, be, to, to try and answer it as one answer, if I just go quickly sort of through maybe the ages, mm. I mean, something like mainly music gives you a connection with the mums but then you'd need to run community programs that are just fun, that everyone comes to with their kids to have a connection point. Like in our church, you know, Pastor Eleanor at, um, you know, some fun things we've done, like the, you know, even the light party. And I know in previous occasions to have gone around just finding all the mums and giving them an invite to mainly music. Here's a free program that exists for you. So, so you create the, the connection point as a starting block to, to build those platforms in for, for the young ones. I mean, again, you'll have to put the energy into the Sunday school. You could identify needs for after-school care or interest in holiday programs but again it'll be the people resources is the key not the need you've got to have the people to meet the need to keep them through um, it's said that about two-thirds of those uh, who go to church at a youth group will leave the faith in that 18 through 22 year old age bracket you know those the numbers vary very slightly you can change that age bracket slightly but that's the general picture about two-thirds it's also said that about one-third leave in the integration from the, the primary, intermediate into high school age bracket as well. So, so something local churches can do is to really understand the dynamics of those two transitions to master it, because you can do that. Um, I've, I've actually studied and written on the, that topic, um, so um, if interested I've got um, article on those, those topics. Um, and for example, into the young adults, you've got to be progressing upwards. You know, if you graduate out of the Sunday school and the youth group's just so cool, well, I'm an 18-year-old and I graduate out of the youth group and what? You know, lesser programs, lesser momentum, nothing there for you. Um, kids, if I can say it, aren't fully adults often uh, until they're around about 25. Sorry, you know. That's Sorry okay. to a couple of people here. <laughs> but, you know, if you're still living with mum and dad and you're not financially independent, you're not yet an adult and you used to be in the working world at 13, Today you've got this extended adolescence, you know, until you're sort of, you know, in the, in, in the world looking after yourself. So, so this dynamics of the immaturity of teenage years that are still there in many of the 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 year olds. In fact, one study I heard recently um, found a, a significant portion of people, like 40% or something, who were age 30 still didn't consider themselves to be adults. You know, so psychologically there's these, these cultural changes. So the way we do young adults ministry needs to be markedly different and more intentional than it was 20 years ago because we have seen a change in that period. I'd also say people are leaving because of a number of fundamental reasons. 
it's like a whole topic in itself. It's a massive question you asked, but um, there's, the, 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 there's the moral pressures. And without a strong enough community, good Christian young people move away from home and they fall morally and then they begin to not go to church because they know that they're compromising in some way from the Christian faith. Uh, but then there's the university professors and lecturers, some of whom make sport out of trying to undermine young Christians' faiths, identifying them. And I have sat across the table from people who do this laughing about it, and I felt sickened by their attitude. Um, and, and so you've got 19-year-olds in a university who have never had the reasons for believing our faith to be true explained. And in some environments, they've never had an experience of God. So with a lack of an experience to say it could be real combined with fundamental rational reasons to believe it, their faith is easily undermined and next moment they're gone. Because Hindus have experiences too and there's lots of religions, so what makes you think that yours is true? So um, I think that the whole sect, the last comment on it maybe, because it's, it's, it's a massive, it's a whole topic, isn't it? It's 10 topics, <laughs> is that I think that this is a space for Christian mission. And Christian mission is about getting together with some people and praying and saying, God, what could we do? And then you innovate to do what you think God tells you to do. I think that the youth ministry has choked, in my opinion, so much in New Zealand. We're about 25% of the attendance of 25 years ago now, in my estimation. Maybe a third, maybe 25% nationally. And, it, and it's buffered and hidden by bigger churches with youth groups, so we think it's still happening. But a city that used to have 20 youth groups now has eight. You know, this kind of change has taken place in a 20, 25 year old year period. This is now a mission space ready for pioneer mission to reinvent. And, and I think we need to be, beyond the things that we do, I actually think we need to be praying. Leverage what works 24-7 um, works. I think the godtalk.nz initiative to get outreach equipping and school groups going again, I think it's vitally important. But um, we need to pray and, and we need fresh mission and we need to have an attitude amongst the older ones in churches that are ready to identify new innovators and to support them because we're actually into new territory. So do you find that intergenerational ministry really important in our churches these days? You just spoke about, you know, our older generations, you know, coming into speaking into our younger generation and supporting them and releasing them. Do you, yeah, that's a bit of what we talk about within our our children's mission around mm. how important the wider church is to our young people and to their leaders. Is that, yeah. would yeah, you, yeah. I mean, it's community, isn't it? Yeah. And if, um, I mean, I, I, um, I came from a fairly dysfunctional family background. So, so having become a Christian and gone to a church, that church was genuine community to me. That was my family. Uh, it was very disappointing for me to, to go away. I went to Bible college and no one from that community contacted me. They, they were my family, you know what I mean? And, and, and later in ministry, there was sort of not really an interest in what I was doing, and this was my family abandoning me, you know? And, and so they, there was no intent of that, but, but yeah, I mean, I think the intentionality that we take to, to care for younger ones intergenerationally is important. Yeah, very important, the role modeling. I mean, one of the ideas, I was with a group of young adults, um, youth leaders, you know, recently talking about that integration into the young adults from, from the youth. And one of the dynamics there is just to get some people to come in who are 30 and 25 to talk about the mistakes they made when they were 19, 20 and 21 going off to university or poly or whatever else it is, just to explain and help the 16, 17, 18 year old understand the reality of that and capture the wisdom of someone five years older than them to hopefully make different decisions and stay in the faith. In other words, preparation sometimes helps you avoid Whereas we're just throwing them out there and saying, go to church, won't you? And hoping for the best without any intentional 
effort. So, so even that intentional voice, creating the platforms for it from older to younger, uh, can, make an, can make a big difference, yeah. Yeah, you're asking all the big questions, Debbie. <laughs> that was an enormous, that's an enormous that's a very, question. Very big topic. That's a whole topic and a talk. Yeah, but it's important it's to talk about. Fluff, yeah, obviously. goodness me. Um, yeah. But yes, thank you for that yeah. answer. It was great. Mm. Um, great to have your opinion on it as well. So at the start, uh, Georgia asked you about your highlight, and I'd like to flip that now to relating to what we've been talking about, what's been one of your most challenging situations that you've been in and how did you handle it? I, I think one of the hardest things in the past year would be the same as the hardest in the past 12 years in this facilitatory work across the nation. And that would be where churches aren't ready to work together in cities and towns. And it's not because they're not willing to work together. I think it's often because they don't have the capacity to work together. A pastor is also employed to try and make their little congregation thrive. They're not employed to work for the church. They have to work for one congregation. There's something inherently off about that, but that's how we've structured ourselves. And if they did give all of their time to the church or the city to help the gospel thrive, the members might be complaining they're not getting helped in the way that they want to be helped. Um, so the United Church has strategically become more important than it has ever been. And I think that much of our reputation and the ease of our opportunity is going to hinge significantly upon our ability to unite more as churches and to function as one man and one spirit for the faith of the gospel. You know, Philippians 1.27. The New Zealand church is getting stronger in its unity? Absolutely. So there's positive things to talk about here, uh, but we're certainly on a journey in this further to go. Yeah. Yep. Um, we actually have time for one more question. Who's it going to be? So I feel this is a nice way to finish things off, and it's if you could offer one piece of encouragement or advice to our youth and children's leaders in the Salvation Army about discipleship and introducing others to Jesus, what would it be? Just be authentically excited about Jesus yourself. Cool. Don't be weird, you know, don't be, oh, hallelujah, this, whatever, that's pretty 1980s now in my <laughs> book, you know. But just, just be excited and then tell the stories. Give them, mm. give them, don't assume that they'll believe, you know, that they'll believe anything. They'll believe Santa Claus is true if you tell them Santa Claus is true. Got to understand the age with the children. And we have to disciple them to believe in what is true instead of what is imaginary. So, 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 so do that authentically out of the heart, but, but disciple them to know why we believe what we believe. Start teaching the kids from the age of five. Here's a bag with a whole lot of Lego. This is where I started with my kids. Shake, shake, shake. How long are you going to have to shake that Lego before you make something amazing? It's never going to happen, right? Accidental chance and explosions will never create life. It'll never create amazing things. Creation needs a creator. Information, that book needed someone to write it. Do you think the book would write itself? Random letters on the computer. You know, just start teaching them basic logic from young as to why we believe this faith to be true. Tell them the stories of, of the difference that faith in Christ makes and they will grow up with a foundation that hopefully will see them not only hold on to that faith but have a conviction that this needs to be spread because it brings hope and it brings life. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for being with us. Um, we've just been so blessed by what you've had to say. Mm, cool. um, Thanks, through Jason. your ministry and to ours, we know that we'll just take mm. so much of that inspiration and carry that through with us in cool. our everyday lives out in the community, in our churches. Um, and I'm really excited to watch your journey and what you're doing as well, yeah, because cool. it's been very inspiring to have you cool. here with us. Cool. So. Thank you, it's thank been fun. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad yeah, we yeah. could yeah. provide some of that for you. Yeah. So thank you cool. very much. Cool.
Thanks for listening to today's episode. We hope you got something out of it, maybe a little nugget of wisdom or a practical tip you can start implementing in your ministry. If you want to check out more, you can head to our website, www.moreconference.co.nz for the most up-to-date news and content from us. We'll see you next time on the More Children's and Youth Leadership Podcast. Thank you.